So glad that you're here this morning. This is week two in uh, our fall message series that I'm calling Connect Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. And we're talking about worship for four weeks. Can you believe uh, we will start talking about Christmas uh, in three weeks from today? We'll start our Christmas series. Are you ready for Christmas? Anybody shopping? Okay, if you, anybody done shopping? Oh, a couple of really strange people in our midst. I want you all to know that Chris and I put up our Christmas lights on our house this week while the weather is good, but several of you have threatened us not to turn them on or you'll come by with BB guns. So we're obeying, okay? No Christmas lights yet, but I did listen to Christmas music yesterday and I love Christmas. Anybody else love Christmas? So that's coming up, but we're spending a few weeks talking about worship. And uh, there's one verse, a statement that Jesus made that I believe is critical to understanding our priorities in our lives and really our priorities as a church. Jesus was asked what the most important commandment in all the Bible was, and this is what he said. It's found in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, would you just read this off the screen with me? Mark chapter uh, 12, verse 30. Read this with me. Jesus said, And you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is how we worship. This is how we connect with God. And last week I shared with you a a chart that helps me to understand the nature of worship a little bit. That sometimes, in our church culture, we tend to equate music with worship, right? Uh, in fact, Matt Redman, who's a wonderful worship leader and a worship songwriter, wrote a song a number of years ago, we sang it last week, that said, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it, talking about worship. I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've made worship into when it's all about you. Worship is all about Jesus. It, it encompasses heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so there's a... I just want to give you again today that kind of gives us a picture of what worship is. I believe that worship in its, in its best form is revelation and response. And what I mean by that is that God comes to us, He reveals Himself to us in some way, and then we respond to Him. And that's worship. That intersection of revelation and response, kind of the blank spaces in there, that's where worship happens. Uh, where we understand that Jesus came to offer His life for us. We understand that he offers us the gift of his death in place of ours so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our own sins. Jesus offered it to us. Uh, That's revelation. We say yes to Jesus. We confess faith in him. We pray to receive him. And and that fan just starts spinning. And then we, we understand that God has given us freedom from the power of sin. And so we begin obeying him. That's worship. There's so much to worship. And so uh, we're talking for these four weeks about this issue, revelation and response, finding that intersection, connecting with God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Last week we talked about heart worship, and that's that first part that Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God with all of your heart. And if you were here, you'll remember that that word heart in the Bible languages doesn't mean necessarily what we mean it to mean, but in the Bible languages it talks about your will. 
And so when Jesus says, worship God with all of your heart, he's saying, choose to worship him with everything that is in you. Make the choice to be a worshiper. And today we're going to move on to that and uh, talk about soul worship. What it means to worship him with all of our soul. Now, before we get into the meat of this message today, let me just define for you what soul is in the Bible languages. And just like last week, uh, the word heart in the Bible languages means something a little bit different. Soul means something a little different than our English understanding as well. When you think of your soul, you probably think about that interior part of you And you've probably taught your kids, or maybe you've been taught in Sunday school, that when you die, your body goes in the grave, and your soul will leave your body and go to heaven, right? And we we tend to think that way about our soul. That's actually not a Bible concept as much as it is a Greek mythology concept. This idea that man is made up of two parts. When Jesus used the word soul, or when the Greek writers of the Bible used the word soul, they were using the word psyche. And you can write this in your notes if you'd like to. It's the Greek word psyche. Now, we know that word because that's the root word of a lot of our English words like psychology, psychiatrist, psychologist, all that kind of stuff, all right? And we can get a a little clue of what this means in the Bible language Because you go to see a psychiatrist, right, when your emotions are all messed up and you got to figure out why you're ruining your life, right? And so you go to see a psychologist who deals with what? Not not that part of you that's going to go be with Jesus. He's dealing with your emotions. And in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, that word psyche means the breath of life or the seat of feelings and desires. A little bit different than what we associate the word soul with. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for soul is the Hebrew word nephesh. And that's a wonderful word because it's an important word in the Hebrew language. It means something that breathes. It's the same word that says in the book of Genesis that when God made Adam, he breathed into him the nephesh of life, the breath of life. God's breath in Adam is what brought Adam to life, what animated him and made him a living being. It was God's breath. And and when the Old Testament writers talk about our soul, it's similar to the New Testament writers. It's talking about emotions and passions, that which motivates us, that which makes us alive. And so much of what makes us alive is our emotions. So last week we talked about Jesus told us to worship with all of our heart, which means our our wills, our choices, we're going to worship God. Today I want us to talk about worshiping God with our feelings, with our emotions, with the breath that brings us to life. Now, when I start talking about emotions and worshiping God with emotions, I know that there's a lot of us that are just not really comfortable with a lot of over-emotionalism, right? And uh, sometimes that's a difficult thing. And, and really, if you think about it, in our culture today, there's a whole segment of our population that is more than happy than to put themselves on display over-emotionally, overexposed. They just let it all hang out. You've just got to flip through the TV channels and find reality TV, right? And you see these people, they just let it all hang out, Okay. 
I'm a big fan of reality TV because I'm, I'm a fan of human behavior. I love to watch how people react. So Chris and I like to watch like Survivor. Any Survivor fans? Okay. Uh, we love The Amazing Race. Amazing Race. And uh, every once in a while at, at lunchtime, okay, this is a confession and I know that it, I have to repent. Sometimes I turn on like Maury and sometimes I let it stay on to Jerry Springer. Okay, that's really bad. Okay, I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying it's a temptation, okay? It's temptation. And, and you know those people on, on, on the Maury show or Jerry Springer, you know, I love it. When they, when they get up, and they're always from Arkansas or Tennessee. I don't know why that is, you know. And, they're, and, and the ones that just kill me are the ones that say, I don't care about you or your baby. I want your man, you know. And then there's this big cat fight that breaks out, you know. And everybody's all emotional. And, and, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's just yucky, isn't it, you know. And it's like everybody, they go on TV to just air their deepest emotions that really should be dealt with behind closed doors, right? And, and those of us that are used to a little more self-control, you know, it's fun to watch on TV, but we don't want to go there, right? We're all in, in full control of ourselves. We're not going to the Jerry Springer show, okay? Uh, now, you've probably, if you're like me, if you have any church history, though, you've probably been to churches where you kind of felt the same way as if you were watching the Jerry Springer show. I remember a number of years ago, I visited a church, and it was in the deep south. I'll tell you, those people are a little different than we are in Montana, really. And it was a deep south southern church, and I can remember so distinctly, beautiful, big building. And, and the particular Sunday that I was attending this church, there was a guest speaker there. And this guy was dressed to the nines, you know, the three-piece suit and the tie and had the white hanky that he kept wiping his brow with, you know. And he was one of those Bible thumpers, and he just got going. And the whole pastoral staff, I think there were five or six of them, they were all sitting on little thrones on the stage, you know. Have you been to one of those churches? You know, they're all sitting in little thrones, and they're all dressed really nice, too. They're looking really good. And that, that preacher gets to thumping his Bible and pounding the pulpit. Next thing I know, the senior pastor, he's probably 60 years old, white hair, all slicked back, and he jumps up and he starts jumping up and down, and he begins running around the row of thrones, you know. And then, you know, like it was on cue, the rest of the pastoral staff jumps up and they're waving their hankies. And I'm sitting there in my pew just saying, really? Really? And sometimes I think maybe it's our Montana culture, maybe it's just human nature, uh, whatever it is for you or for me, sometimes when we when we hear somebody talking about bringing our emotions to God in worship, we just kind of go, you know, that's okay for that lady over there, but that's not for me. That ain't us. And, and I just want to ask you a question this morning, and I'd like you to just kind of evaluate. How do you feel, how comfortable are you with expressing your emotions to God? How comfortable are you bringing that part of you into a worship experience. And, uh, and Shoni's posting on our Connect Church Facebook page a question. I'd love for you to weigh in on this, either now if you've got a mobile phone or later on in the day. We're asking the question, how comfortable are you with public displays of emotion? Are you comfortable going to a church and connecting with God on a level that stirs your emotions? Or is that frightening for you? 
Uh, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus said the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart and with all your soul, that place of your emotions. It's the most important thing is that you will connect with God with your entire being. Not me? All right. When my wife comes forward, I know it's time to listen. Oh, a baby. Okay, gotcha. Sometimes she's motioning me from the back to stick to the script when I, you know, go off on those little tangents. Stick to the script. I want to share with you a couple of brief stories today about characters in the Bible that didn't mind expressing their emotions in worship to God. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn, first of all, to Job chapter 1. Job is in the Old Testament. Uh, Job chapter 1. And if you know the story of Job, you will remember this was a guy who had had everything taken from him. He was an extremely wealthy man. He was a worshiper of God. He was a good man. The Bible says that he was blameless, but disaster came upon him. He lost everything. He lost his wife. He lost his children. All of his fortunes were taken away. It was just one disaster after another came upon him and everything was wiped. Positively everything. If there was country music back then, he would have been the subject of a good country song. Lost his girlfriend, lost his dog, lost his gun, all that kind of stuff. That was Job. Okay? And in Job chapter 1, this is what we read about him starting at verse 21. It says, Job stood up. Now this was in public, so there were people watching him. He stood up and he tore his robe in grief. And then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground in what? In worship. Here's this man grieving everything that was ever important to him. And he falls down on the ground in worship. And he said this, I came naked from my mother's womb. And I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. We sing that song sometimes from this verse. Another version translates it, Blessed be the name of the Lord. It was Job that wrote that lyric that we sing today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even though I have nothing, I will worship him. I will bless his name. And and that description there of tearing his robes and shaving his head, uh, those are descriptions of acts of deep, deep sorrow and grief. And when Job was broken, what did he do with his sorrow? He went to the Lord and he worshipped. He wasn't afraid of that emotion. He didn't stuff it. He didn't stifle it. He worshipped. Another story that I want you to see is actually the story of Jesus. Luke chapter 19, if you want to turn there. And and Jesus, I think it's very interesting too, uh, although we believe that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was this perfect individual. There were times when Jesus emotionally lost it. Do you know that? And I could tell you several stories, but the the one that I want to tell you from Luke 19 was when he was coming into the city of Jerusalem and he realized that so many of the people, the vast majority of the people in Jerusalem were not worshiping God. They were far, far, far from God. They were religious people, but they did not love God. And verse 41 says, as he came closer to the city, he began to weep. 
And he said, how I wish today that all of you people would understand the way to peace. And he broke down and he wept. He wept when he lost one of his friends, Lazarus. There was one time when he was in the temple that he became so angry that he just began turning tables over and made pretty, a pretty big scene. Jesus didn't stifle his emotions. Jesus used his emotions appropriately. And, and there are many descriptions in the Gospels of when Jesus was emotional, he went to prayer. And he was a person that connected with his heavenly Father in the same way that he commands us to connect. Connect with God, worship God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. But why are we so uncomfortable with emotion? Because a lot of us really are. And if you're here today and you're not uncomfortable with emotion, that's fine. But I think a lot of us, this just freaks us out. And I was asking myself this question this week, and I was thinking back to some of the things that I grew up hearing, okay? Like, uh, like stop crying or I will... Okay, that was all the moms in the congregation. Well done. Well done. About the time a kid turns five or six or seven years old, mom and dad start saying, big boys don't. Right? And we're learning to stifle it. In, in our culture, there's a phrase that's been going around quite a lot. Uh, the, the, the phrase is cowboy up. Right? How many of you, have you ever said that to your kids? Cowboy up? What's that mean? That means I don't care if you've broken your leg and an Indian has shot you in the shoulder, get on that horse and ride it out, right? <laughs> Cowboy up. And, and, and this idea of stifling our emotions, it's, it's drilled into us in our American culture. I was thinking back to when I was growing up, and, and my mom, I, I love her, and I, I really consider my mom one of my best friends, but, but she, uh, especially when she was younger, she was a steely woman. I mean, she was like the ice lady. Okay, and uh, and and she didn't tolerate a lot of emotionalism from me and my sister. And my sister was born crying. Now I don't understand why. Uh, and and my mom to this day, you know, we talk about this. Where did Julie come from? Because she's got these emotions that the rest of our of our family don't seem to have. And and from the time Julie was little, she would cry over anything and everything. Drove my mother crazy. And this one, this one night we were getting ready for bed and my sister was really little. And, uh, and I was old enough to brush my own teeth. So I'd brush my teeth, I'd gone to bed. And my room was right next to the bathroom and I could hear my mother trying to brush my sister's teeth and there was this scuffle going on. And my sister was crying. And my mom assumed it was because Julie didn't want to go to bed. And she's like, open your mouth, I'm going to brush your teeth. And Julie's crying and fighting. And my mom's like, open up. And finally my sister opens up. My, my mom scrubbing her teeth with this toothbrush and Julie is just wailing, you know. And, uh, you know, and I'm listening, kind of curious what's going on. And finally she says, spit. So my sister spits. And then I could hear my sister say, Mom, you put Brill Cream on my toothbrush. <laughs> if, you're young, if you're too young to remember Brill Cream, this was this hair gel that came in a toothpaste tube. I mean, go figure. And it was white like toothpaste. And my mom had brushed my sister's teeth with my dad's hair gel, you know. And, uh, but we learn, see, we learn to stifle our emotions. We learn to stifle our emotions. But Jesus says, worship the Lord your God, connect with God, heart, soul, mind, strength. Every part of you is part of worship. 
And so I want to I answer the question this morning, how does emotion relate to worship? And I've got four things that I want to share with you today be, before, we, uh, before we just spend a little more time worshiping together. Four ways that we can relate emotion to worship. And, and really, I could, I could come up with 40 ways to relate your emotions to worship, but these are just four, and I hope that in the coming week or in the coming month as we continue talking about worship, I hope that you will begin to connect with God on an emotional level that maybe you've never been willing to let yourself do. Here's number one if you want to write this down. If you're sad, you can turn it into worship. If you're sad, you can turn it into worship. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 42. It might have been David, it might have been Asaph who wrote this psalm, I don't know, but but somebody in antiquity who was a worshiper wrote this verse, Psalm 42, 11. He said this, Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And then he makes this decision. Here's, here's heart worship, making a choice. I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. And here's this revelation and response, okay? Somewhere in the recesses of this guy's mind, he remembered that God is a God of hope. And so when he was sad, he came into the Lord's presence and he said, God, I am sad, I'm discouraged, I'm beaten down, but I know that there's hope for me, so I'm going to reach out to you in worship. And when you and I are sad, we can reach out to God in the same way, worshiping Him using our emotions. Whatever it is we're experiencing at the moment, it can be turned into emotion by just sharing it with God. So if you're sad, you can turn it into worship. Here's number two. If you're happy, you can turn it into worship. If you're happy, you can turn it into worship. Uh, if you've been here a part of Connectures for any time, amount of time, you know I'm a huge David Crowder fan, one of my favorite worship leaders, worship singers, worship songwriters. One of the reasons I love David Crowder's music is because this is a guy that understands revelation and response. He understands that because God sent Jesus and Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for sin, because we don't have to pay the penalty for our, sin, for our own sins, because we traded in with Jesus. He paid the price. We're set free. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. And because we know that, it's a reason to celebrate and, and be so happy and glad. These are the kinds of songs David Crowder writes. Here's just a little clip of one of them. Watch this. Everything 
Could you understand the words? Happiness, there's grace. Enough for us and the whole human race. That's a great lyric. And, and if I were there, I'd be waving the smiley face too. Because that's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to worship. And that's a reason to do a whole lot more than just stand here like this. It requires something extraordinary when we understand that we've been set free from all of the penalties that our sin makes us deserve. Okay, that was really limp. Thank you. This is what I'm talking about. If you understand what grace is, it causes you to worship, makes you take the choice to celebrate and worship with enthusiasm. Yes? Say amen. 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 All right, that's a little more controlled, saying amen. Thank you. If you're happy, turn it into worship and let yourself go and celebrate. Number three is this. If someone has wronged you, someone has wronged you, you can turn that into worship. Okay? Now we're talking about a completely different emotion, aren't we? Here's the way one guy did this. I haven't been at church since I don't remember when. Might need a little more Things volume. Things were going great. Till they fell apart again So I listened to the preacher As he told me what to do He said you can't go hating others Who have done wrong to you Sometimes we get angry But we must not condemn Let the good Lord do his job You just pray for them That sounds like good advice I pray your brakes go out running down a hill I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill And knocks you in the head like I'd like to I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls I pray all your dreams never come true Just know Okay, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind, okay? I read a really funny story this week uh, about a couple ladies. I don't know if it's a true story or not. It's one of those internet things that goes around. But it was a story about these two ladies that went shopping at Kohl's. And when they came out, they found a dead cat in the parking lot. And they felt bad about that cat. So one of them put her purchases from Kohl's in the other lady's shopping bag, put the dead cat in hers, and they were going to lunch. So they just put the shopping bag with the dead cat on the trunk of their car because they didn't want to put it in the car. So then they went in, and they were having lunch, looking out the window. And this lady comes by, sees that Kohl's bag on the top of the, on top of the trunk, and just looks around, sees nobody around. So she just takes the bag. Okay. <laughs> And then, as, as chance would have it, she comes into the same restaurant that the ladies are in, goes through the line, comes and sits down with her food, and uh, as she's just about ready to start eating, she's thinking to herself, I'm going to see what I just picked up in, you know, in the parking lot. And she opens up the bag, and there's this dead cat in her shopping bag. 
And the story goes that she began choking on her food so badly that she slipped to the floor and the paramedics had to come and these two ladies are watching this whole thing unfold, laughing to themselves at, at the turn of justice and, and the last thing they saw of this woman, she's being wheeled out by the paramedics with the dead cat in the bag sitting on her chest. <laughs> And the story, the story ends like this. The, the, the writer says, God always brings justice to those who do bad things. And every once in a while, he lets us see what happens. <laughs> and it's a silly story. But you know what I thought when I read that story is there's, there's a little bit of worship there. Because that writer of that story, <clears throat> instead of wishing bad on that person that wronged her, or that tried to wrong her, actually... She took the dead cat off her hands. But, uh, but, but she was willing to trust God for justice. She was willing to share the story to encourage other people that, what does the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Okay, there's some revelation for you. If someone has wronged you and you are hurting and you're wounded because somebody has done something really wicked to you, if you know that the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, you can come to the Lord and you can say, God, this person is really, really rotten. And they've really hurt me and they've really messed me up and I'm struggling, but I'm here to lay it down and not pick it up and just trust you to bring justice in the place. That's worship. That's worship. Instead of singing along with that other guy that I pray that a flower pot breaks and hits you on the head. Somebody has wronged you. You really can turn it into worship. Here's number four. If you're struggling in some way today, if you're struggling, you can turn that into worship. I learned this many years ago that uh, sometimes the best way that I can connect with God is when I'm really, really struggling. I was in a class in Bible school and uh, my favorite professor was the was the teacher of this class, and we were studying the Psalms. And I remember vividly like it was yesterday. It was an evening class. And we were studying Psalm 70. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but part of it's up on the screen here today. These are the words from this Psalm. Hasten, O God, to save me. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May those who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. The psalmist was really, really struggling. He was persecuted. He was being chased down. His life was in danger. He was afraid. And I'm going to skip down to the bottom part of this psalm. He said, but as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. And then listen to this affirmation of faith. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. To hear the worship here, this guy is struggling. He's fearful. He's poor. He's needy. He needs an in intervention of some sort. And where does he go with his emotion? He goes to the Lord and he says, God, you are my help. You are my deliverer. And I remember that night sitting in, in class and other students all around me, and I was so moved by that truth that when I'm struggling, the Lord is my deliverer. I went back to my dorm room, and I began worshiping in the best way that I knew how, and that was to start composing music and, and writing a song 
to the Lord. It's one of the ways that I've, I've always worshipped. And even though this is 25 years ago and this sounds like uh, an 80s power ballad, do you care if I share this with you this morning? Is that okay? So this is one of the ways that I worship, especially when I'm struggling. My soul is fighting a battle, a war is deep inside, the enemy is raging, but in Jesus I can hide. My rock, a fortress of safety, a shelter from the storm, a shelter from the storm.
That's just one of the ways I worship. And the way you deal with struggle might be very different from mine. And, and, and in fact, uh, here's, here's the truth. Uh, I used to write songs a lot uh, whenever I was blue and down and feeling overwhelmed. That was, I'd go to my piano and I'd write. And uh, somebody asked me not long ago, you know, if I've written any new songs. And I haven't written songs in years. And I realized the cutoff point. I stopped writing once I got married because I was just so happy. I didn't have any reason to complain anymore. But I still worship. I just worship in different ways and for different reasons. And I, I take my emotions and, and I channel them to the Lord. Write this in your notes if you're taking notes. Even if you're afraid of emotion, if this is a little overwhelming to you, I want you to know this. The worst thing you can do with your emotions is to bottle them up. The worst thing you can do is to bottle them up. And, and people that are in the emotional healthcare field, they will tell you this. You, you've got to learn to deal constructively with your emotions. And people that bottle them up, they end up on Jerry Springer exploding all over the place, all right? And the best thing you can do is bring your emotions, whatever they are, happiness, sadness, rejection, struggle, whatever it is, the best thing you can do is bring them to the Lord, express them to the Lord, lay them all out, write poetry, write songs, just talk about it to God. Whatever it is, bring your emotions to the Lord and turn it into worship. Here's another verse. I think this is one of the most beautiful, beautiful phrases in, in the Psalms from Psalm 56. The writer says this, You, God, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. The reason that worshiping with our emotions is so powerful is because God cares about how you feel. And when you bring your emotion to Him, He writes it down. He puts your tears in a bottle to save them because your emotion, your feelings, your struggles are so valuable to Him. And He can take your emotions and do something so beautiful with them. One of the most beautiful and timeless hymns of worship was written in a time of sorrow. I want you to hear this song and listen to the story.
What a difference Horatio Stafford made because he was a worshiper instead of letting the emotions of his life turn him into a bitter, angry old man. Thousands and thousands of children every year are helped by the foundation that he created. And this song that you just heard, probably familiar to most of us, has become a staple of of the English-speaking church, helping us to worship. Many of us didn't even know that it was written out of a time of tragedy. What a treasure. See what God does when we take our emotions and we turn them into worship. Jesus said the most important commandment is that we'll worship the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. What emotions do you have that you need to bring to the Lord today and just express them to Him? Sadness, joy, frustration, bitterness, anger, hurt. Turn it into worship. I got a message on Facebook this week from somebody that's in our church family. And, uh, and this person was writing to me to say that uh, last week's message just really helped her because uh, she was learning that God wanted her to choose to worship. And she's been waiting for a long period of time to have God stir her emotions and have this big emotional release. And I want you to know this morning, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about trying to work something up to become worshipful. What I'm talking about is bring, bring your worship to God wherever you are, whatever emotion you have, even if it's just meh. You know what I mean by meh? Just meh. <laughs> even if you've got nothing, just come and worship. Come and worship. Why is this so important? Last thing I want you to write down is this. Whether it's with your husband or your wife or your children or most importantly with God, there's no genuine intimacy in any relationship unless you reveal the deepest part of yourself to the one you love. And really what God wants is He just wants to know you. He wants to understand you. He wants you to come Give yourself to him. As soon as you're done writing, would you put your things aside? We didn't rehearse this. and You guys in the band, would you just come? I want to, I want to sing a little bit of that song, It Is Well. Uh, and I can play it. You guys, if you want to join me or not, that's fine. But just come on up. Let's stand together.